Welcome to Ideas with Purpose, a podcast about companies and their leaders who are approaching their industries in the world differently. I'm Robert Dowling, founder and CEO of Hudson Cutler. On today's podcast, I'm talking to Alexis Glick, founder and CEO of GenYouth, a nonprofit dedicated to creating healthy school communities. GenYouth is doing amazing work with kids across America and has deployed more than $7.5 million in emergency funding, supporting over 7,500 schools throughout the COVID-19 crisis. I spoke to Alexis via WebEx from our Soho headquarters in New York City about her experience as a financial expert, media personality, and nonprofit founder, as well as her work supporting children across America during challenging times. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Alexis, thanks for taking time. Uh, I want to talk to you a lot about Gen Youth and your own personal journey from financial expert to media personality to nonprofit founder. Uh, but the first question that's been on my mind is how all of the anger and the discord and the partisanship of recent months is impacting the world of giving. You know, interestingly enough, Robert, uh, while uh, the divisiveness in the country is something uh, that we keep a close eye on, you know, particularly as it relates to the work we do with kids, since we support upwards of 40 million kids daily, the truth of the matter is, as it relates to giving, because of the urgency of the pandemic, and in particularly the urgency around the, you know, the food insecurity among our nation's youth, which is one of the highest in our nation's history, we have actually seen extreme generosity uh, in the wake of the pandemic, both from corporate America and from individuals. And I would argue that at this moment in time, more than ever, we have seen corporate America step up in places that, frankly, the federal nor the state government can do. And so we're seeing uh, folks come together to really help solve these real-world challenges. That's so That's so good to hear. We've been talking a lot about how much is on the plate of corporate America uh, and the the new, not just um, uh, expectation, but the new place of corporate corporations in America is to not just uh, weigh in, but to participate in issues that range from not just uh, public health, but also diversity. And in this case, food security and um, and 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 giving to, to, to kids. It's great that, that, uh, corporations are stepping up. How are you, how are you working with them? Well, you know, you raise a great point, Robert. You know, the interesting thing about this is uh, one of the things that I do, in addition to being the CEO of Gen Youth, is I advise a lot of CEOs, companies, and and professional athletes. And I've had so many conversations with a lot of uh, Fortune 500 CEOs over the past six months about the times we're living in. The key thing about this moment is that there truly is no blueprint there is no playbook. And so what we are seeing is the ones who are really rising to the top are the ones who have been able to effectively pivot. And they've been able to do it in a very authentic way where they're willing to admit in an in, in a true dialogue, both with their employees and with their consumers, that they are like all of us, learning through uh, and navigating through a high degree of uncertainty that is completely unprecedented. And so what I would tell you about my experience in terms of watching them manage, whether it is uh, inequity, whether it is uh, diversity, whether it is uh, escalation in healthcare costs or supporting the people in their communities, 
I would give corporate America an A plus across the board because I truly do believe that they have figured out a way to not only listen, but to deliver. And one of the things that when I'm advising them that I talk an awful lot about is it's one thing to say that you're going to stand for something. It is another thing to say that you're going to do something. And what I greatly respect about what we have witnessed over this past six months is those that have truly taken that and actually delivered. They're practicing what they preach. And I think that's what's differentiating brands. I think that's what's differentiating companies. And I think that's what's differentiating leaders. So as someone like me as CEO of Gen Youth, my job is to not only listen to what corporate America uh, is facing because the issues they are facing are the issues our communities are facing. Their people are being furloughed. Their people are worried about their healthcare. Their people are worried about their safety. Their people are worried about where they're going to get their next meal. And so what I have seen is extreme empathy, compassion, and a willingness to listen to those in philanthropy and to work together. What I often say, Robert, is one plus one plus one is far greater than three. No one of us can do it alone. And this is a classic case of worlds colliding. I couldn't agree more. We say exactly the same thing to our clients. It's not about what you say. It's about what you do. Uh, You also, however, have an incredibly valuable resource for uh, corporations. And that is you probably know more about what kids are thinking in this country than anyone else and are in a better position to understand what's coming next, not just culturally and socially, but economically. What what are kids thinking? Well, you are absolutely right. As as I referenced, you know, we we support 40 million kids a day in America. And when Gen Youth was created, our mission is simple. It's to create healthier school communities. But since our inception, we recognize that in order to create healthier school communities, we have to uplift and empower the student voice. So everything we do in the school building and in the community is about kids being in the driver's seat. So what we have been doing since our inception is taking their temperature. They not only, um, I always say to folks, we are, it's all, all about being for kids, with kids. And so they're the ones who are helping cultivate, curate, and drive our programs, our solutions in the school building. And they're the ones who are speaking to their legislators, uh, their teammates, their colleagues, their classmates about how to create healthier school environments. What I'll tell you kids are saying right now, uh, particularly coming out of the the spring when COVID initially hit and we saw 124,000 U.S school buildings shut down in America, impacting over 50 million kids. What the first reaction we saw was this, I've lost, I've lost my school year. I've lost milestone moments. I've lost my ability to participate in sport. I've Mm -hmm. lost my connection to my friends. I am in a period of isolation. I may not have access to the broadband or the technology that I need to learn. Will I be left behind? And if you think about it, Robert, 
the risk for some kids of not having access, whether it be to sport, whether it be to music, that could be the upward trajectory that takes them out of circumstances in their community and gives them an opportunity at a higher education. So COVID has truly impacted their lives in a profound way. And if you look just economically in the wake of the record jobless claims and the in the record 30 plus million Americans that are now being supported by the government, the familiar well-being, in other words, will my parents be able to put food on the table? Will they be able to pay their bills? Upwards of 40% of the kids that we have surveyed in our programs said, this is the thing that keeps them up at night. And we recognize that as things persist, and the government no longer has those support mechanisms in place, the likelihood is that those concerns are only going to grow uh, and escalate in the months ahead. It's such a massive, massive problem. Uh, Alexis, why hasn't there been more innovation in this area? You know, it's a it's an excellent point. I mean, I think the thing I would tell you is, is that uh, we have this one student, his, his name is Ani, and he says, um, <laughs> he always says, you know, if it's about me, don't do it without me. And I think there's a couple things I would say uh, to those in, in corporate America and in the, in the advertising and the marketing communications world. I would say, look, number one, um, in order for us to innovate, evolve, and truly listen to this next generation, whether it be millennials, whether it be Gen Z or Gen Alpha, they need to be seated at the table. That is a place where I give ourselves a D. Uh, and I think we need to take that up to an A, because if we want to sell products, services, or solutions to this next generation, the right thing, the fair thing to do is what Ani said. If it's about me, don't do it without me. So think about issues around uh, distance learning, the type of technology, the type of solutions that can help kids learn. One of the areas uh, of of actually uh, uh, one industry uh, vertical that I've been incredibly incredibly impressed by is how uh, folks in, whether it's in the media or streaming uh, world, have found ways to deliver educational content to students in a distance learning scenario that didn't exist. I look at the world of Zoom. I think it's reframed the way we engage with one another. It will change not just how businesses operate, it will change how we learn. I look at the the kinds of production that have come out of Netflix and Amazon and the work that TikTok is starting to do. And I'm incredibly impressed by the fact that they recognize that one of the probably biggest innovations that will come out of COVID-19 is the way we look at and educate kids in America and the role that they play in determining how they are taught to. It's not just educators who have had to, uh, you know, to pivot and learn at a record rate, who have scrambled uh, to provide solutions. But kids now are learning in a profoundly different way. And I think this is going to create an entire wave of innovation in the educational space and in the media world that will be forever changed as a result of COVID. That would be amazing. Uh, I have my fingers crossed. I can't wait to see improvements and innovations in this area. Uh, when it comes to the root causes of childhood childhood hunger in America, 
Is this an issue of race, inequality of wealth? Is it poor community management? What What's causing this? And uh, in the work that you're doing, how are you uh, approaching addressing some of those issues? Well, you raise an excellent point. I mean, the biggest issue, as you know, in America is uh, inequity is a, an enormous problem. And we have an economic divide and a chasm, uh, I would argue, that is at one of the greatest levels we've seen in American history. Uh, in fact, I'm someone who has spent my entire career as both an economist and a political scientist, and I study the stock market. I study balance sheets of, of corporations every single day. I have to tell you right now, I have never seen a larger disconnect in my career between where the stock market is and where the real economy is. Mm-hmm. And what frightens me so much about that is that the type of inequity and the type of food insecurity and the the the, the type of challenges that kids in uh, inner city communities or the most vulnerable populations are facing are, are headwinds that are almost, one could argue, insurmountable. When we look at our role One of the things I'm most proud of about the role of school buildings in America is that every kid who shows up to a school building in America has an equal opportunity. Uh, In fact, uh, the former Surgeon General, Dr. David Satcher, who's sat on our board of directors, would say, Alexis, schools are the great equalizer. But what this pandemic has taught folks that too many people in America didn't realize is that school buildings in America are ground zero for hungry kids. Mm. Now, why is that? Because in America, 50 million children attend schools. Uh, It's about 55 in total if you look at public and parochial schools and private schools. But if you look at the U.S. public school system, over 30 million kids a day rely on school meals for daily nutrition. So when you experience a moment in time like this past spring when 124,000 U.S. school buildings shut down, the mistake people made is that they believe schools were completely shut down. The truth is nine out of 10 U.S. school buildings must, had to, were open to feed hungry children. Mm. So what I'll tell you about where we are in America today and what keeps me up at night is that that chasm is growing wider. When we entered the pandemic, one in six kids was food insecure in America. Today, that number is one in four. But if you are a a kid from a Latino community, uh, an African-American kid, uh, your minority student, and ironically, the minority is the majority in U.S. public schools. Yep. That food insecurity is one in three in America. The wow. numbers are staggering. Food access, food um, insecurity is at one of the highest rates in American history. And if we don't do something to level the playing field, the fear I have is that we are going to have what I would call a lost generation. So what we need to do right now is we need to double down. And in my mind, one of the key places we need to double down our commitment is in our nation's schools. Because when we think about food insecurity, it is those school nutrition professionals. It is those cafeteria ladies that you and I remember as a kid who Mm -hmm. put lunch on your plate. They are a lifeline in America right now. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I agree, you know, in so many communities, 
we have big problems to address, and yet it is a national challenge. Um, I want to switch gears slightly. As a, as a longtime New Yorker, as a champion of the city, do you think New York is over? Not at all. I am proud to tell you that I am born and bred from New York City. I uh, lived and grew up on the Lower East Side in Stuyvesant Town, Peter Cooper. I lived there during the, uh, you know, I grew up during the Koch and the Dinkin administrations, and, mm-hmm. and I have seen it all. And I will tell you, there is no more resilient community than New Yorkers. And so while we will take a step back as a result of what we've experienced, and we have seen things that we wish we would never uh, experience, and I understand people's fears and insecurities about the safety of New York City, New York City is one of the finest in the world. And I guarantee you, we will look back in a couple years' time, and we will say, wow, um, how did we do what we do? Um, mm-hmm. How did we recover so quickly? And I can just tell you from having experienced whether it was the stock market crash in 1987, uh, 9-11, the Great Recession, we've seen these moments over and over again. Uh, but I have absolutely no doubt and no fear in my mind that New York City will not only return to its glory, but I think in some ways maybe better for it. Amen. I am. I just uh, type that all out so that I can uh, submit it as an op-ed because I am right behind you, sister, with that one. Um, so that actually leads into my next question, which is about your personal journey as a financial expert, as a media personality, as a nonprofit founder, as a CEO whisperer. Um, you've largely been in New York, but you also have this this national and global experience. Can you talk uh, a little bit about how you got here? You know, it's, um, you know, sometimes, uh, in life, you know, you, 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 you think you know what the blueprint is, but you don't necessarily uh, have it all figured out. And I, I would tell you that one of the things I've done in every career choice I've made is uh, I, I often say to folks, I like to be on the foul line with three seconds left in the game and and I'm the one who wants the ball. And so every career choice I've taken has had a high degree of risk, uh, a large degree of passion, and I like a super high incline on my treadmill because I always want to be in a constant state of learning. And so when I look back on my career trajectory from being on Wall Street to being in media, to being in philanthropy, and to today being in a position where I can marry those skill sets working with you know CEOs, companies, and, uh, and individuals, is that you know we're living in a moment in time where it used to be Growing up, you know, my uncle would work for IBM for 45 years, or my grandmother worked for MetLife for her entire career. Well, today, part of how we grow and develop and become better leaders is by getting under the hood of the car in a variety of different industries and learning um, skills and strategies and solutions in one industry that could be transferable to another. I've noticed, Alexis, that you have an uncanny ability 
in each one of those to bring people along, to get them involved and get them to take action? Is that something that you discovered or was that just sort of a natural ability that you brought to each one of these roles? You know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I will tell you that my Rolodex of relationships in part, I think the reason I have such a powerful Rolodex is because I've done just that. And I'm always looking for unique opportunities, um, strategic partnerships, um, white space, and so I'm in in part, I still have that mergers and acquisition, that MA, Wall Street mind. Uh, always uh, at the core of what I do, looking for um, how can we advance an industry? What are the trends that folks are not talking about today that we should be? I always surround myself, Robert, with people who are far smarter than me. I never want to be the smartest person in the room. And while I am a New Yorker, I jokingly say to folks that I'm the female version of George Clooney up in the air, uh, (laughs) except that I don't have to fire people. But when you're up in the air and when you expose yourself to such a breadth of industries and leaders, you are a sponge. And I love being a sponge. I love empowering people. I love discovering hidden gems. And I love making deals. You also seem to love to take on the most difficult challenges. (laughs) Yes. Um, I am someone who rises to the occasion uh, when someone gives me a challenge. In fact, when someone tells me I can't do something, well then, um, that is a reason why I'm going to go do it. I like to under-promise and over-deliver, and I get a little bit crazy, uh, to steal a line from Reese Witherspoon, I get a little crazy when people say, uh, you should stay in your lane. I'm not someone who knows how to stay in one lane. That is great. So why is it, why is it important to challenge the status quo? Uh, and, and what do you see as the dangers of doing so? You know, I think the greatest part about challenging the status quo is that, um, change is the price of survival. And most people are incredibly afraid of change. I am just the opposite. Uh, I guess you could say I'm a change maker. And in large measure, I believe that's because I spend so much time with the next generation. I'm also the mother of four kids, and they're asking and tasking us with rethinking every single day uh, our go-to-market strategies. I mean, when I advise athletes, one of the things, Robert, that I spend time with is what I call uh, their independent fan to brand strategy. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, Alexis, how did you come up with that phrase fan to brand strategy? And I said, listen, um, you know, I'm, I'm a sports lover. I, I jokingly say I'm a, wo- a man uh, in a woman's body. I'm, I'm addicted to sports. But if you look at athletic teams, whether it's a football team, whether it's the New York Giants or the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, people are fanatics. They are fanatics about their team or their school. Uh, It becomes a love mark status and a connection to them that they cannot live without. And when I sit down with athletes, or even when I sit down with CEOs or companies, I say, what is your fan to brand strategy? It's much like a mission statement. Sometimes you can talk to a series of 10 or 12 executives and say, what do we stand for? And you get eight different answers. Mm -hmm. Well, If you truly want to be a change maker and a leader, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and develop your fan to brand strategy in an authentic way in which you admit you don't always know the answers, but you're willing to listen and have a two-way dialogue. 
Well, four, four kids, you um, you nearly have uh, half a baseball team there. <laughs> and uh, now the 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 other thing that uh, and I love that your your approach and energy and the way that you uh, make people look look at things differently, challenge the status quo. One of the things that we really focus on with clients as well, even when faced with the most gnarly issues, is keeping it positive and finding the opportunities. And that's just been your nature. Is that something that you've cultivated or you just bring that natural enthusiasm to the table? Uh, you know, 100%. I am a true believer in the glass is half full, the glass is not half empty. And if we spend too much time talking about what we can't do or what doesn't work, we are doing ourselves a disservice. And so to me, uh, I've been called the energizer bunny. I've been called, you know, the, the kid who never stops smiling. Um, that positive energy, you know, that chi, uh, that karma, it translates in life. And I'm a huge believer that the reason I have been able to have multiple careers and maintain relationships throughout those careers that date back 20, 25 years ago uh, is because I'm a big believer that when you open one door, you never close the door behind you. Or as my father used to teach me, when you arrive at someone's home, you ring the doorbell with your elbow because your arms are so full uh, with gifts that you're giving to that person that you're coming to see. So I truly believe that positivity uh, in the most difficult of situations helps you navigate through those difficult moments. And those who tell you that they have not failed, those who tell you that um, they've never had to pick themselves up off the floor are not being honest with you. Mm -hmm. All of us, we make mistakes. All of us have setbacks. All of us have moments in time where we wonder, did we make the right decision? But if you dot your I's, if you cross your T's, if you, as I oftentimes do, tell folks to think about someone else's pain points that they're not sharing with you and be able to help solve those pain points without them having to disclose those, if you have that degree of empathy in everything you do, it will translate in every action you take in your career or in those you support. Yep. It comes back. So four kids, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of, uh, school kids across the country. You, what is the one thing that gives you sort of, you take heart about this next generation and what they bring to the table? They're, you know, these are kids who, um, are going to create the change they wish to see in the world. And I think that's miraculous. They are unencumbered. They are unafraid. They are driven they're empathetic and they want to be a part of the process. And I look at this next generation. It's, it's, it's funny. Um, I used to work with Tom Brokaw and he would talk about, um, you know, the greatest generation. Uh, I've now spent all this time with, you know, gen, uh, millennials, gen Z's and gen alphas. And, uh, I, I believe I'm watching the greatest generation and my, my four kids and my oldest is 18 years old. And he said to me the other day, he said, mom, wow, you guys are leaving us with a lot of problems. And I said, Logan, you know, you're right. You're going to have the largest federal deficit in American history. Uh, states are fiscally insolvent. Uh, we have a healthcare crisis. We have record level of joblessness. It'll take at least a decade to recover. Uh, I could sit here and name all the things that are wrong with the world, but I have more confidence in your generation that you're going to get it right because you've lived through this. And having experienced this, 
will change the way you operate as a business leader, the way you solve challenges, the way you raise your kids. So I am incredibly optimistic about what this next generation can do. I love that. My last question, and I always ask this question, and I feel like you will have the best answer ever for it, is what does the world need now more than anything else? Oh, I love that. That's so good. The world needs unity. It is, it's, you know, I guess I would tell you that the thing that is, uh, broken my heart the most about what we've experienced, particularly as someone who spent a huge chunk of my career on TV, is that we have allowed every corner of our world to become divisive. When we turn on the television, uh, when we go on social media, um, you know, just our communities, our neighborhoods, our dialogue, our rhetoric. And so to me, the thing we need to remember is at the end of the day, we are all inextricably linked. We are all Americans. We are all a part of this globe. We all will have a climate change. We are all facing the realities and the dangers of COVID. It didn't select one target. And so to me, when I wake up in the morning, I dream about a world in which we understand that no one of us can tackle these problems alone. We must do it together. And I'll, I'll tell you, Robert, I'm working on a book um, uh, with the with the title "When Worlds Collide." And uh, the reason I'm working on it, and I've been working on it through COVID, and it's it's, it's truly talks about the role of purpose and profit coming together and what that can do to solve some of our greatest challenges in America. And the reason I stopped to write it during COVID is because I have seen moments of glory. I have seen frontline workers do the most miraculous things. And I am heartened by the degree of empathy and will and commitment. And I pray that we can take the goodness and lead with that to create a more unified America. Absolutely. Alexis, I feel exactly the same way about you. You, are, you. you and your whole team are doing God's work. We so appreciate your time. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you again when the book is out and uh, good luck. Thank you so much for being on. Absolute pleasure. You're amazing. And I feel so blessed to have joined you. I want to thank Alexis once again for her time and insights into the world of finance and media, as well as her important work as a nonprofit founder and leader. You can learn more about Gen Youth at www.genyouthnow.org. And you can learn more about Hudson Cutler and listen to all the Ideas with Purpose podcasts at hudsoncutler.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time.